Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. We have a most fascinating and talented guest on tonight, acclaimed New York City songwriter and journalist Jeff Slate has uh, just announced his new record coming out called Lockdown Live, featuring performances from his streaming concert series. Uh, it's coming out on August 14th. He's way ahead of the game here. He's been doing uh, these streaming shows from his house uh, in the uh, Lower East Side of New York City for a while, and he's putting out a, a compilation from the performances. Apart from uh, being a longtime uh, New York singer-songwriter and guitarist, he's also a great journalist. He's interviewed people uh, such as Tom Petty, Roger Waters, Roger Plant, Jimmy Page, Roger McGuinn, and Ronnie Wood, among others. Uh, as a matter of fact, he performed live with Roger McGuinn at the uh, World of Bob Dylan Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was sponsored by the Bob Dylan Center in the spring of 2019. And he came on my radar in the fall of 2018 as he wrote the 10,000-word essay, which was included in Bob Dylan's More Blood, More Tracks. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, the Minneapolis musicians that played on Blood on the Tracks, and uh, the record had just came out. They had not received uh, uh, any recognition for their work on that record until this record came out. So I've been following Jeff ever since. I've read several of his uh, interviews he's done. I follow him on Twitter. And now, for the first time, I get to talk to him in person. Jeff Slate, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Hey, Paul, how's everybody out there in Radio Land? It's uh, everybody out there in Radio Land is doing good. We've had some incredible weather here in Minneapolis, and uh, we are masked up as of last Saturday. Saturday the uh, Governor Tim Walz mandated everybody's got to wear a mask uh, when they go into a, a public place, whether they like it or not. So uh, we're staying healthy. We've got a, a healthy state because of Governor Walz's. Uh, direction, so we're feeling good about that. Tell us a little bit about uh, this new record you've got uh, coming out called uh, "Live from Lo- Lockdown Live." Well, wow! You know, like everybody else, back in um, you know, I did my last live show uh, February twenty third at um, I think it was February twenty third at Town Hall here in New York City. I was part of the. Uh, 80th birthday celebration for Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. Exactly. Wow. And Joan Osborne, it was an all-star cast. It's an amazing night. Little did we know (laughs) we wouldn't be on stage uh, for many months after that. You know, within a week or two, it became really obvious that something was going really wrong here, especially in New York City early on. And, um, you know, by the first or second week of March, things started to shut down. The schools started to shut down. I was, you know, one day I was a guest host on Sirius XM, and the next day everything was canceled. You know, it was just like that quickly everything turned on a dime. And so, you know, I'd had a tour booked with my buddy Earl Slick from, from David Bowie's band this fall, we were going to make a record, uh, you know, this spring to, to sell at that time and so forth. And all that went out the window right away, as did a lot of 
work, just generally speaking. Sure. And, and all my life, all my live dates got canceled. So, you know, I was just sort of sitting around. And, and at that time, it was pretty grim here in New York City. This is like, you know, late March, early April. And, you know, talked to my manager and talked to some of my buddies. And we were all talking about, and, and a few artists had done a song or two here or there on like Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And so I thought, you know, and people were doing them on the weekends. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do them during the weekday because people need a break. I picked four o'clock Eastern because that means, you know, my LA friends can catch it at lunch and my London, London friends can catch it at dinner time. Um, and started doing them every Thursday. And, you know, look, they were, they were shaky at first. It's hard as a performer to play to a video screen. <laughs> um, and, you know, but I, uh, you that's, know, I've that's done Jeff, a lot of radio that... and I've, and I've done a lot of performing, so I don't have a problem talking. So I told stories. I told stories about the songs, about recording my own songs or the covers I was doing and why and why I love those artists. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, I, I felt pretty good about it and I got, just tremendous feedback. Um, and so, you know, like a football coach, I had started, because I'm doing them from home and I have a home studio, I was recording them right from the very beginning, not really thinking, oh, I'm going to release these, uh, just to hear how they were. You mm -hmm. know, like, was I any good and what could I do differently and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, right away I thought, wow, these sound, you know, I use great equipment, I have nice equipment here and, they sounded amazing, and I thought, yeah, maybe maybe I'll put some up on social media. And then after a couple of weeks, people started messaging me, both with requests, but also like, hey, where can I buy an acoustic version of this song? Or, you know, did anybody put it on YouTube or, you know, whatever? And I thought, you know, I'm going um, to put these together, and I'm going to put them out. And at that time... I had hooked up with a charity called Meals of Gratitude who were bringing uh, lunches to healthcare workers here in, at Mount Sinai Hospital in my in my neighborhood because it was crazy. I mean, there were lines around the block. Right. And it was, you know, this is this is sort of April uh, in New York City. It was really grim. Um, and so we raised a lot of money. I started raising money every week, and people were super generous, and I'd send them the Roy Orbison book I wrote or the, uh, you know, the liner notes for the Dylan I sign everything or my own merchandise for that matter, you know, whatever their donation was, I'd cover the postage and I'd give that money to the charity. And then things subsided here. And I thought, well, I'm going to put these out and I'm going to give this money to another cause. And, and this was then, you know, maybe late May, early June. And, and the, you know, George Floyd had been killed and, People were marching in the streets, and I was. You know, I'd gotten out there at a few of those. And um, so I started giving money to Black Lives Matter, Justice for Julius, the North Star Fund, you know, some you. of these other black artists fund here in New York City. Um, and so, uh, you know, because these didn't cost me anything to make except for pressing the CDs and printing up the artwork and the T-shirts, 100% of the profits from the sales of these are going to those causes. And, uh, and I'm giving the, um, also the uh, money while I'm doing these concerts, I'm giving the money from any merch sales on my website uh, to those causes. So, um, you know, it turned out to be a way 
to entertain people, to keep my chops up, but also to do a a little bit of good and to kind of feel good mm-hmm. in the middle of all this awfulness and chaos and um you know, political nastiness. <laughs> uh, well, I really I have to commend you. First of all, going back that town hall gig, it's a it's a nice one to remember uh, to keep you through these these uh, uh, these times of musical famine and no gigs. Uh, I was honored to play uh, right before that, and on uh, January twenty fourth at the sixtieth anniversary of Gertie's Folk City at the Iridium, and. Uh, like you, I had no idea that things were about to shut down. So that uh, I've got good memories from that. Let's keep our fingers crossed that there will be such a thing as live music in our lifetime. I've got Jeff Slade <laughs> yeah. on. We're going to listen to some uh, tunes off of his uh, uh, record, Lockdown Live. Apart from uh, being a, a very well-noted musician uh, from New York City, he's also a regular contributor contributor is a writer to the Wall Street Journal, The New Yorker, Esquire, and Rolling Stone. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of the uh, great experiences he has interviewing some uh, just wonderful musicians. Tell us uh, in about a minute or so before we play the f- uh, first original track off Lockdown Live, uh, Lucky Day Sunset. Tell us what that tune is about, Jeff. Um, I don't even know. It's okay. whatever you want it to be about. No, I, I'll, be, I'll, <laughs> That's okay. I'll tell you the, the, short, the short version of it is um, when my daughter was a baby, um, we were driving in the car back from visiting my parents in Connecticut to New York City, and she looked out the window from her car seat at the sunset and said, that's a lucky day sunset. Oh, perfect. And as a songwriter, I just thought instantly, that is a great name for a song. Absolutely. And when when I was going in the studio to make my first solo record, I just sat down with that title and, you know, one literally at a, you know, I had like a lunchtime to, to write it because the next day was the recording session and it just poured out from the title. So it, it was pretty much... Uh, an ode to my baby daughter, who's now 18, going to college. Well, that's beautiful. You know, uh, that, Lucky Day. I, I, I just love the uh, the poetics of the title. We're going to listen to Lucky Day Sunset by my guest Jeff Slate, and we'll have uh, Mr. Slate on for the whole show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. It's funny that nights don't seem the same. It's funny how the days they never change. Funny, I feel like Superman. It's funny how they meant it was the end. Never worked real hard. Never paid my dues. Always thought I had a home to come home to. I never had it. So I carried all my sins And I walked a thousand miles Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. Delighted to have my guest on, Mr. Jeff Slate, a songwriter, guitar player, cool cat. 
resides on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, and he's got a new record out called Lockdown Live. Uh, two discs set with a, a bunch of Dylan covers. We, we will be listening to a, one of his Dylan covers in the third set. So, Jeff, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how did you get into this racket and when did you start playing professionally? I don't even remember when I didn't do it. Well, okay. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I was lucky. I had um, older brothers and sisters who were music nerds and who were, well, they're now, uh, you know, sort of in their late 60s, 70-ish. And so they were, you know, right there at the golden age of everything and mm-hmm. saw, you know, the Doors and Hendrix and Bowie in their heyday and, you know, all that. And and so when I was a kid growing up, I inherited their music, you know, their record collections. My brother took me to my first show, which was The Kinks. My sister took me to my second show, which was The Clash. You know, I did okay <laughs> early on. Uh, and it changed my life. And and then my brother-in-law was a, a, a jazz player, but did session work as a horn guy for, like, the Isley Brothers and the Spinners. And, oh, cool. You know, all that. And so I would, when he would go out on tour, he, they would send him, like, 45s and records to learn. And then I would inherit them. So I had this great collection of both kind of rock and roll and like 60s, 70s soul and R&B. So I, I just couldn't get enough of music. When my friends were into Kiss, I was into the Small Faces and the Who and uh, and uh, got into a band at, I don't know, you know, 13 or so um, and then went professional with a band, a punky band uh, in the 80s called The Mindless Thinkers who were named by Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. Oh, okay, cool. Long story, won't cover. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, sort of took it from there, moved to New York City. You know, we did really well. The Mindless Thinkers had sort of a glorious two-year run. And then I moved to New York City and uh, connected with Pete Townsend, and he produced some demos for me in the early 90s. Wow, that's incredible. And that, you know, yeah, that opened a lot of doors, obviously. And... um you know, I toured with Sheryl Crow after that, and um, you know, but but never really loved being a solo guy, like the guy up front. I started a band in the late '90s called The Badge, and and we put out a couple of you know three three four records, um, and didn't do a whole lot of business here in the states, but in sort of Japan and Germany, and especially in the UK because we were very sort of mod influence. So it was, again, that who, small faces, kinks kind of vibe um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. That was a really cool thing to be doing there and um, built up a really nice following there, toured there. God, uh, you know, so many times it, it's blurry and and um, had a really good run and until sort of mid-2000s. Um, I had young kids, guitar player, you know, didn't want to do it anymore. You know, the usual thing sure. that happened to bands after seven or eight years. And, um, and so I, I took a couple of years to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And then, you know, I had to reconcile with the fact that, it, you know, it's hard to put a band together from scratch at, you know, 30, whatever I was at the time. Um, and so thought, well, hell, I'm, I'll just try to make a solo record. And so I'd met a lot of cool guys on the way up, and so I got 
you know, Earl Slick and Carlos Alomar from, from Bowie and, and, um, Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly from Wings and, you know, all Gene <laughs> wow. Parsons from the Birds and whatever to play on my first record. And it was really a labor of love. I, I took a long time to make it far longer than I should have. And it cost a lot of money. But um, that album, which came out, I guess, about 2012, called Birds of Paradox, I'm really proud of it. it Lucky Day Sunset is from that record, and, and it, 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 it really kind of put me back on the map because, you know, part of, as you will attest to, part of, you know, building a career in the music business is just not dying. You know, right. it, it, once, you, once you're like in your 40s and you've made a couple of records and you know, you have a little bit of an audience, people kind of just remember you as always being around and they come to your shows and they support you and whatever. And so I was, I think, pretty fortunate to be in that position. And so I got a residency here in New York City at a place called Hill Country, who actually co-sponsor my my weekly streaming shows. And I've, I've done a, a, a monthly residency there for the last, I think, 70 seven years, 77 years, and and our Dylan birthday show in May would have been my 80th show there. Hmm. So, you know, I, yeah, so I did that, and we toured around, and I've toured around with Slick, and I've done, a, you know, the Bowie tributes, the Bowie celebration that Mark, Mike Garson puts on, and, um, you know, I played with Pete, and I played with, uh, you know, a, a, as you said, Roger McGuinn, and, you know, a whole bunch of, a bunch of guys that I really admire and love, but... I've had the good fortune of being able to have a, a little bit of an audience so that I can, you know, support myself. You know, I, I couldn't do it as most musicians. You got to have a side hustle. So my side hustle is my writing, and that's been been pretty good to me too. And and um, but that's the that's the short version of the last forty five years. Well, Jeff <laughs> Slade, I'll tell you what. Uh, um, <laughs> you've got a little bit of the, the hand of God on one of your shoulders because you've, uh, you, you might not become the superstar that we all wanted to be when we were kids, but boy, you have really, uh, worked with some incredible musicians and made some great connections through your writing, uh, listening to your story, uh, about your house gig. I've, I've got two, I've got two things that uh, came to mind. Number one is you never give up a house gig. And number two, th- my motto has been for years, the beauty of obscurity is you never go out of style. And that's how we survive. I've got Jeff Slade on. We're going to listen to a, a great tune by a, a songwriter, one of the greatest American songwriters who we lost uh, just a few months ago to COVID of all things. Uh, this is Jeff Slade doing John Prine's Long Monday. And we'll have Jeff on for two more sets on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. You and me. Sitting in the back of my memory Like a honeybee Buzzing around the glass of sweet Chablis Radio's on Windows rolled up and mine's rolling Headlines shining like a silver moon On the ground He made love Every way that love can be made Time look like time could never fade. Friday night, we both made the guitar. 
to Vietnam Sitting all alone on down by a river that has no bend Gonna be alone one day Stuck like a tick of the clock We just heard a version by my guest, Jeff Slate, uh, do, doing one of Bob Dylan's most beloved tunes, Idiot Wind, uh, of course, Blood on the Tracks, which brings us to Mr. Slate. How did you get uh, chosen to write the 10,000-word essay liner notes for the re-release of More Blood, More Tracks, the 10-CD set that uh, Bob Dylan and Columbia Records put out in the fall of 2018? Well, truth be told, they only wanted me to write about 2,500 words, but <laughs> as you can already tell, I can't shut up. Right. Um, look, you know, uh, I had written about Dylan uh, quite a lot for Esquire and The New Yorker and, you know, Daily Beast and a bunch of places, and so um, I'd come to the attention of his office and uh, had met with his team and developed a relationship. And, you know, for anybody who's especially a songwriter and, a, you know, a fan of Bob, but also just a writer, you know, to be able to be associated with a project of Bob's is a thrill. Um, and so in, I, I think it was when the, when the 1966 uh, live set came out, um, the office asked me to do the interviews for the mini doc that they put on YouTube about that set. And so that was, I came back early from vacation because they had to do it in, in August. And, and that was really fun to do. I interviewed Richard Alderson who recorded those gigs. And, you know, I, I guess I sort of in a way passed the audition. Um, and in the meantime, I was writing about the releases that they were doing. I, I did an essay about the Gospel Years box set that I, I know everybody really loved um, at Sony and, and in Bob's office. And and so when um, the next set was coming, I got a call. I was coming home from parent-teacher conferences on the New York City bus, and, and it was like, you know, can you get over here now? And I was and I actually couldn't, you know, which, which is like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose this gig. But, you know, I went over the next day, and, they explained to me what it was, and, you know, to be associated with a project of Dylan's, any project would be, 
you know, would be fine. If it was knocked out loaded, I would have been happy. And right, so, right. <laughs> not to knock, not to knock Tom's record with Bob, but you know, and but it turned. It I kind of actually, uh, Jeff, I kind of dig that record, but uh, anyway, I do too. <laughs> hey, Brownsville girl. Yeah, know, oh yeah, right. Girl. So God bless you know, Sam so anyway, Shepard. Um, you know, it was all on the tracks, and of course, I had a story to tell about that because, and that's why I chose Idiot Win for you to play because. You know, back in the 90s when I was working with Townsend, he he gave me a copy of Blood on the Tracks on CD. And I was like, what you, it's in my liner notes. I was like, yeah, of course I have this album. And he's like, yeah, but listen to it. Right. Try to learn these songs to perform them, not just as, you know, a performative thing, but really to own them. And and what he was saying was, you know, as, as a performer, you have to get inside the song. You have to own it in your own way and i wouldn't say i do i wouldn't say that version did or certainly versions i I recount this in the liner notes where like just getting through all the words people would clap you know it's like (laughs) so um and i remember that distinctly you know like i didn't think they were all that good the performances but people were just so like wow seven minutes and he remembered all the words so um you know, but that's a really special record. It was it was an amazing sort of high point in and amongst many high points in in Bob's career. Um, and so when I sat down to write those liner notes, you know, they they pretty gave pretty much gave me free reign. They did very few edits. Um, and when I got to about nine or ten thousand, eleven thousand words, and said, "Look, I've gone way over." They were like, don't worry about it. We'll make it two books. We'll do one of the photos and one of the essays and the track notes and so forth. So just do what you do. And and I turned it in and everybody loved it. And, you know, there was some, you know, uh, it was just there was some great feedback from everyone involved. And, and then, you know, like you said, it, it was a way for me um, because I interviewed Kevin Odegaard and, and I was able to give you know, it gave me a chance to give a platform to the guys from Minnesota who had never really been recognized. Mm-hmm. We we corrected the liner notes. I told the story of those sessions as best I could. And, and you know, they remixed those sessions so that you can hear everybody more clearly. It's It was really sort of a way for me to pay back the guys who had been involved in this record and, and Dylan too, um, by telling the story the best way possible and as fully as possible of one of, I think the greatest records of all time, because look at that time, the singer songwriter was ascendant. You had Jackson Brown, you had Neil Young, you had Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen. I mean, there was like great records coming out every month and here comes Bob who literally throws down the gauntlet and says, oh, you think that, you know, Ohio is great? Let me throw down idiot win and change the game completely. Exactly. Um, So no disrespect to Johnny or Neil or any of those people, but this is a whole other level of songwriting that that maybe only Joni Mitchell ever achieves. I have to uh, uh, put a little idea in your head here because I've been – Gordon Lightfoot was actually my Bob Dylan before Bob Dylan, and uh, I have a sure. theory that uh, 
Lightfoot's record, his debut, just called Lightfoot, was the template for John Wesley Harding. Uh, upright bass, acoustic guitar, two acoustic guitars, lead, lead acoustic. And um, anyway, that's my theory. But uh, I've just been listening to – Oh, yeah. I've just been listening to uh, Gordon's record that he just put out, which was a demo he did 20 years ago, just uh, just solo guitar, which is just phenomenal. And now I'm reading about, if you could read my mind, the new documentary. Do you have any idea about perhaps doing an interview with Mr. Lightfoot in the near future? Yeah, you know what, actually, maybe. I mean, they sent me the documentary as well, and... Um you know, fingers crossed. I'd, I'd really like to. You know, it's it's a funny thing. Um, there's there's a certain level of artists that, you know, for the outlets I write for, you know, like the New Yorker, Rolling Stone, or whatever, they either have in-house people who will cover somebody like him, or they don't feel like there's a big enough audience for a story about him. And I always fight. For, you know, somebody like that to say, um, I mean, I remember when I wrote about the Sweetheart of the Rodeo um, tour that that Hillman and McGuinn did a couple of years ago, which ended up becoming a cover story for Rockseller magazine where I wrote, right, because I just felt this was going to be a moment that was going to be really special and that people needed to know about because they may have missed, you know, Amongst the music nerds, we know Sweetheart of the Rodeo because it, it changed so much of the landscape right. of music in the 70s, you know? And yet, um, I mean, you wouldn't have the Burrito Brothers or the Eagles or, you know, CSNY maybe without that record. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, it took a lot of convincing and a lot of editors to, to get that story done. And, and Gordon is sort of falls into that same category. They're like... Oh, is anybody going to read this story? And I'm, I, I have to make the argument there is this sort of silent majority of music fans out there who would really want to read about this, how he did it, reflecting on it now. And, and you know, a lot of these guys, like you mentioned John Prine earlier, um, I actually record that version of Long Monday was, I think, the day or two after we found out that John had died. And hmm. I just... You know, I wanted I wanted to do a John Prine song, and I did it, like, totally off the cuff. Um, I just felt like, you know, I hadn't played that song maybe ever live, but I played it around the house a few times. But it felt like, man, I've got to do a John Prine song. These guys aren't going to be around forever. And Gordon, and you know, so, Gordon Lightfoot's you know, 81 right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we should get him while we can. You know, well, I mean, and, and he's, and he's, he's had, one of the originals. And he's had so many... Uh, if people don't know Gordon Lightfoot's work by himself, uh, they've heard he's he's been covered by some of the greatest artists of our time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just in terms of his survival, for God's sakes, you know, he's yeah. been doing it for, you know, like, uh, like Bob for 60 years. Uh, anyway, yeah, so yeah. good luck uh, with that. Now, uh, We've got about a minute and a half before the break. Uh, Jeff Slate, tell us about how you feel uh, how you feel about Bob Dylan's what I think is new masterpiece, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Uh, you, I got a minute. Um, <laughs> well, I I was lucky enough to to be able to write about Rough and Rowdy Ways twice. 
I wrote about Murder Most Foul for NBC, and I wrote about Rough and Rowdy Ways for uh, The Daily Beast. And, you know, so I was able to hear it a little bit early and live with it for a little bit before I had to write about it. But I'll, I'll be honest, I'm still digesting. I mean, yeah. I think that's the beauty of this record. I mean, you know, again, people are putting out a lot of disposable music and people are digging back in their archives to release records. I mean, I, I think it's no coincidence that Neil Young put out a record that was 45 years old on the same day that Bob put out Rough and Rowdy Ways, because all due respect to Neil, in order to compete with Bob, he's got to put out something from his prime. And and Bob, I would argue, is in yet another prime. Yeah. I mean, those, those songs are, they're poetry, they're reflective, they're mature, they're dense, they're, I mean, they are really, when people say, oh, it's a master class. No, no, no. This is a master class in songwriting. And, you know, the other thing is he sounds great. I mean, they're funny in a way. I think a lot of people miss his humor. They're funny in a way that Bob is is maybe not always on record. But his voice sounds tremendous. I think he's he got a lot out of doing those Sinatra records because his phrasing and the way he uses his instrument now is just so special. He's so 100% committed to the delivery of that poetry and the phrasing and how you are hearing it passively as a listener is something that is truly unique and special in a way that, um, you know, very, very, very few artists these days are able to pull off. Certainly, you know, with the sort of, you know, diminished music business that we have in so many ways. I know, t- people just aren't trying as hard as Bob. Bob I, I, t- I totally agree. In fact, uh, uh, Mr. Jeff Slate, uh, I think the other thing about that uh, triplicate and Dylan working over the uh, a Great American Songbook is there's a couple of interesting passing chords in the songs uh, on Rough and Rowdy Ways that I, th- I think – he took his cue and clues from working some of those great songs by the great American songwriters. We've got Jeff Slade on. We've got one more set with him. We'll be back after these messages. back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is the fourth set, and we've got uh, we've had a great guest on for the whole night. And uh, his name is Jeff Slate, and we just heard uh, an original tune of his called Letter from Paris, which is on his new uh, record called Lockdown Live, which is a series of uh, performances from his Every Thursday Streaming Concert series. He's still doing it on Thursdays at 4 p.m., uh, 
Eastern Time. You can track that down at JeffSlateHQ.com. And Jeff, where else can they – your uh, Twitter account and uh, Facebook, where else can they yeah, I'm, listen I'm, to these? Yeah, I'm Jeff Slate everywhere. So if uh, Jeff Slate on Twitter, Jeff Slate on Instagram, it's Jeff Slate HQ on on Facebook as well. But I'm I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> so Jeff, what is uh, what is your view? I mean, you you uh, you've been a professional musician for 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 at least a couple and a half decades. Uh, you're very well connected in the scene. What is your view? What is the new normal? when live music comes back online to any degree, what, what do you see? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's a huge question and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been part of, there's a couple of, you know, industry zoom jawbones that, you know, guys get together on Friday afternoons and, and, you know, like sound men and, backline guys and monitor guys and whatever. And, and they, um, and, you know, top guys in the industry who sort of get on there and talk about how they see it and the state of things and what touring is going to be like and whatever. And, and we're all really not sure how it's going to work. I mean, like I said earlier, I, I had a tour booked September to November of this year where they're all slick and, and that's now gotten pushed back to, April and May of next year, um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, it was—it's it, a Live Nation tour. I know Live Nation, Live Nation will make their money, but I don't see us making the guarantees that were originally in the contracts. We haven't seen the new contracts yet. So, I mean, is anybody going to want to go out there to small audiences for very little money and run the risk of people? getting sick or um i mean i i i think look things are very as slow as this feels because we're all still kind of locked down um it's a fast moving situation Mm -hmm. i think the next six to eight months especially with the election coming we may hopefully have a new government in place next year uh there may be relief for um, small venues, which I think is really key. Um, you know, the Save Our Venues movement, is, Save Our Stages movement is a huge one and I think a really important one. And Congress is now taking that up. And so I encourage everybody to get involved in that. Um, because I don't know how, you know, look, the Barclays Center or your local Enormo Dome is going to survive. But whether Iridium, which you mentioned earlier, or Hill Country, where I play all the time, or any of your local small venues, I don't know how they survive the next 8 to 12 months because it's going to be really, really, really difficult. Um, I mean, there's liability involved. You know, it's, it's a complicated situation. And from my, from my point of view, I don't mind if I'm playing the 500 people in a 1,500-seat place. I do mind if, if I have to get on a bus and the rest of the band has to get on a bus with recirculated air that may or may not be safe. I mean, you know, it's, and then we're going to a venue a hundred miles, 150 miles away from the last one, carrying whatever we've picked up from, you know, you can't not shake people's hands. You can't not pose for pictures with them. I, I think it's a really complicated and slightly scary new world we live in. So 
I'm hopeful. I mean, I think it will come back. I think things inevitably, you know, the, the march of time is relentless and things will improve and there will be a vaccine and this will eventually subside in some manner or another. But I don't have the answer. None of us do. I think it's it's going to be baby steps before we're striding again. We've had, uh, we have Jeff Slade on. He's a most uh, amazing musician. You know, I have to give you credit. Not only have you worked with uh, people like Earl Slick and Pete Townsend and played with Roger McGuinn, but uh, you, you've, you've raised a family in the music business. You were actually, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, coming back from vacation, which very few musicians can afford to do. So I, uh, and, and I've really enjoyed uh, reading your interviews in uh, the variety of publications that you get published in. Uh, so what is, we got a little less than a minute left here. What it's like uh, walking the streets of New York City right now? It's pretty grim. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the 80s where things are boarded up and stores are gone and people have moved out. There's a, a bit of a white flight going on, to be honest, in, in New York City, very similar to the 70s and 80s. Um, and so... You know, again, it's one foot in front of the other. I mean, I'm still staying in most of the time. I'm lucky. I've got a small recording studio here, and I've been recording a new record by sending the files to my producer, and to, I've got guys. The great thing is I've got, like, you know, Lee Harris from Nick Mason's band and a couple of the guys from Paul Weller's band and Slick and a few others who are able to add tracks at home and then the producer puts them all together and, you know, we should have some music out at some point. But it's, you know, regular life has is far from regular right now. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a very new normal, which is very much uh, staying inside and keeping your circle of friends and family very, very, very small as you come in contact with. And work has changed just dramatically I and mean, a lot of it's just disappeared all the live opportunities have disappeared and and a lot of the writing opportunities frankly have disappeared well so, jeff uh, uh, jeff slate yeah go jeff slate we really appreciate your time today uh he's got a great uh, ongoing live stream at 4 p.m eastern time track him down anywhere just jeff slate uh and order that new record all the proceeds and with his merchandise sales are going to great uh, social social justice causes track them down at jeffslatehq.com jeff it's been a real pleasure getting known you personally at least hearing your voice and i look forward to following you and look forward to listening to the rest of your record thank you paul thanks for listening to the wall of power radio hour the show is produced by paul metza engineered by patrick lilia we'd like to thank our guest jeff slate Follow him at jeffslatehq.com. If you'd like to support the Wall of Power Radio War, go to paulmetza.com. I've got a Venmo account and a PayPal account, working on a Patreon account. We hope everybody out there is enjoying the summertime. Stay safe, mask up when you go inside. Stay strong and positive like my dad used to tell me. Remember, just be kind and make someone happy.